This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! The Yay is sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and James Leifler. Central Works headed up, uh, uh, I screwed up the ad, Reed. (laughs) (laughs) Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. And we want to thank Mallory, our consulting producer. And we want to thank you for buying the Yay jerseys. I've We've sold at least 10 or 15, I think 15 jerseys by now. So wow. that's awesome. That is Who really, really us? cool. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, who's uh, been buying them up. But uh, if you're uh, if you're looking to get a Yay jersey, please do. Please sponsor, help us sponsor the Yay. And join we'll spend, the team. That's right. Join the team. And we have a fantastic guest, Raymond Ray. Ray Ray. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing good, Reg. It is so good to see you again and to hear your voice and honored uh, to be asked to be a guest here. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, every time I bring on a person that I haven't seen in a long time, it's like a family reunion. Every When I see you, I remember, I've got the posters right here. Uh, we were involved in Water Buffalo, yep. the marriage yep. of Bet and Boo. Um, yep. I did a reading of The Sweet and New. I wasn't involved in the actual production of it, but you know, you did The Sweet and New. Uh, you've been involved, in, you created a company called Diversity Over Duration, uh, and uh, you've been involved in theater rhubarb. So you have a rich history of working in the Bay Area theater. Of course, you're in Minnesota now. You're yes. a professor of film at Minnesota State University. Wait! Yes. <laughs> I'm so, trying to remember theater rhubarb. Help me. Where was, where was theater rhubarb? Theater Rhubarb uh, was started by two twin brothers, Jeff and Mark Nishimura, uh, living in the inner Richmond, and Jeff produced, Mark directed, and uh, Theater Rhubarb, like Jeff and Mark's whole manifesto, if you will, was to do uh, risk-taking material, risk-taking scripts. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they just kind of developed a little troupe and recycled us through uh, script after script. So, uh, yeah. And I joined them. I think I first auditioned for them in like 96, 97. Uh-huh. And it was like in my first year <laughs> on to stop. So I'm trans male, I guess. Mm-hmm. We should just pop that bubble. Um, I'm trans male. Uh, I auditioned for them in my first year on testosterone, and they had me read for both male and female parts at the time. Was that strange? (laughs) Yeah, you know, somewhat expected, but I did say, like, you know... I'm, all, I'm only going to take a male part, right, mm-hmm. you know, right. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know how that was going to go, but they called me up and offered me a male part and hey. grew up that way. Yeah, now, I right can on. imagine a lot of actors might think they want that range, but when it lands yeah. in your lap and you're not ready for it, it's like, no, I'm, this is not me. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And we'll definitely talk about the the proverbial boxes that that, you know, directors well, life will just put on us like, hey, you're a man. So this is the box you're in and you're a woman. This is the box and directors do the same things like this is where I see you as opposed to where the actor sees themselves. And we'll talk a lot about that. Um, Norman, as I begin uh, each podcast, how was your week? I think you just landed a role. I so my week was empty like my date book had no work all right I had one my one little class that I teach on Wednesdays other than that nothing I was about to apply for unemployment and then I got this weird call and 
first I don't recognize the number and he says hi is this Norman I'm like yeah this is Randy I'm like oh I, I only know one Randy and that's at San Jose stage and I don't know if you've been hearing things but I just wanted to let you know what was going on and I'm like well I auditioned by video I was asked to call back by video and then I was asked for an adjustment by video which is so weird because that means I'm really directing myself through all of that and I'm like I have no idea what you're looking for let me try it um and you will not get to see that character because as hard as I worked they wanted me to be more tough so talk about you know gender roles I was like uh that's not really in my wheelhouse but okay fine I I'm gonna be more tough I gave it my best Ed Asner I decided, you know, Mary Tyler. Millennials are going to remember him. Lou Grant from Mary Tyler Moore. And then that character was so successful that it spun off from a comedy to a hard hitting drama um, with him still being that, that, you know, that craggy editor. I'm like, okay, uh, let me try and do that. So I did it. And I guess they liked something because suddenly I get this phone call. We're not going to do the show. It's a big cast show. We just did a small cast show. And with all the COVID protocols, it was too much for us. So we're going to postpone that. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're calling me to tell me maybe next year I might get to audition again for this show. Uh, it's kind of weird for a phone call, but okay, fine. And he says, so what we're doing is we're replacing it with a show called The Great Adaptation. Can either of you guys figure out what play they might be doing that is The Great Adaptation? Hmm. Are we, are we talking Shakespeare or? or... Nope, not Shakespeare. Adam. Great is your clue. Expectations, expectations, great expectations. Yes. So they're going to do that. Um, it's originally written for more actors. The director has decided to cut it down to less actors. And again, I'm sitting here going, and why are you telling me this? So finally says, so we're going to be sending stuff out and uh, we'll, we'll see you at rehearsal on Tuesday. And I'm like, sure, yes. <laughs> and they're going to pay you. Cool. Oh my gosh, it's a nice salary. I, I, I won't put I won't out them, but it's a nice salary. Well, good for you. Hey, good things happen to good people. That's that's but I fantastic. still haven't seen a script. And I'm like, I'm going in Tuesday for something. I don't even know what roles I'm playing. I'm yeah. playing multiple roles. They did tell me that. And I'm like, I love that. That's yep. great. Did you want to talk about uh the reading that's gonna that we're gonna be doing tomorrow? Oh, you mean the reading that I am on air canceling with you? Yes. Uh, we're going to have an atmospheric <laughs> river tomorrow. So the live reading we were going to do in my backyard, not going to happen. I hear you. Well, we'll, postponed. well, yeah, we'll just put it in the refrigerator and we'll take it out later on. It's the James Baldwin project that you're working on. Yep. And, and Reg is going to be my Richard Wright for a scene that may not end up in that piece, but we'll see. Yeah. That's it'll, fine. it'll get performed at some point. Cool. There's some current events going on. Well, the most latest current events, I think, happened a couple of days ago. And I'm glad that you're here, Ray, because you're in film and you deal, I'm sure you deal with guns. Alec Baldwin, I mean, the shooting yeah. of the, um, I forget the woman's name, but I, I just, I would just think that things like that would not happen anymore, that there would be so much protocols with gun play and prop play that we wouldn't have this thing. I mean, what's your take on this, Ray? Well, okay, I've heard different things, and to be honest, I'm not the most boots on the ground about this one. Being in Minnesota, this was an industry film in New Mexico, but what I've heard is that there was a shift from a union crew to a non-union crew. Oh, uh, right that before, makes a lot of difference, yeah. Right 
before the incident happened, right before the shot happened. And, you know, yeah, it's tragic. And, you know, there have been a lot of discussion just in the film world about just gun violence in general on screen and like, you know, why why are we still there? Talk about machismo and everything, you know, yeah. is there a better way? And people, you know, screenwriters coming on and saying, you know, great dialogue happens and then a character pulls out a gun and the dialogue is instantly over, you know? So uh, isn't gun violence sort of a lazy way <laughs> to like create conflict within a film? Uh, and, you know, other people are coming on and saying gun violence is here to stay on film. There's nothing we can do about it. It's all American, you know, but right. I, I believe this incident's going to, I hope, kick that discussion into high gear. Uh, and of course, it's tragic. Um, I'm forgetting her name as well. I think it's Hannah. I, I just pulled you... it up. Hey, hey, Halen, Halen, I can't even pronounce it. Halina? Is that it? Halina Hutchins. Yes, young. H-A-L-Y-N-A. Yeah. Yeah, an up, yeah, an up and coming cinematographer. And uh, they talk about how bright her future was. And it's really sad. And you bring up a good point, Ray. I mean, actually, I wrote a one act piece called The Gun. And uh, it didn't get produced at all. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there is a psychology. Well, I mean, we're, we're fascinated with gun culture. And this was a Western. So it's not like this was like submachine guns or, you know, the modern day tech nines and things like that. But even, but you know, what you were saying about union and non-union, it's so important how, and it's something that you've talked about, Norman, just as an equity actor. When you're an equity actor and this is, it becomes an equity show, even if you're the only equity actor there, there are rules and protocols and All procedures that must be upheld, that really should be upheld no matter if it's an equity or non-equity. I mean, that's why we have these regulations to prevent That accidents. was my first thought when this happened was, whoa, if this was under any kind of normal protocols, somebody is in big trouble. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as a, as but then a, the second part of the story is that yeah. apparently they were at the end of day. And so the union members were released. So it's, yeah. it's kind of shady. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, it's, it's absolutely hard. And I feel bad for Alec Baldwin. It's not like he, you know, wanted to do it. I, I do wonder if he was pointing the gun at, because usually you're told to point the gun not at the person, but you know, like to the left or to the right or or whatever. So I have no idea what the details are, but it's it's very very they sad. May, they may have been doing kind of a straight down the lens uh, yeah. point of view. Point oh, of view. you know what? Yeah, you're right. That's you right. Know, if he shot the cinematographer, right? That's what I'm thinking the shot was. Agreed. So, agreed. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's sad. Um, also, Michael Caine, uh, this is something I should have talked about last week when we had the Hutch on. Michael Caine announces his retirement. We're going to lose a, uh, another great actor. Did How you know about that, Norman? How many times he announced his retirement? Come on. Oh, was that a bunch of times? Yeah. Well, let's see if the it's, next it's script. more than once. <laughs> okay. Let's see if uh, something else pulls him out of retirement. A black girl was arrested in Hawaii for drawing a picture. Did you hear about this? Mm -mm. No? no? Apparently, she, I guess uh, she was uh, being... She was being um, bullied by uh, some classmates, and uh, I guess she drew a derogatory picture, and a parent got upset, you know, one of these proverbial Karens, and, you know, the only crazy thing about the story is law enforcement, you know, we're still, this is a 10-year-old girl, and she was, uh, and she was um, incarcerated, 
-hmm. And that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's happening in the school system or with law enforcement that would even allow, I mean, sure, you know, a crazy parent calls the cops. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, enforce what she wants. It, it's crazy and it deals with race relations. It deals with, you know, um, I don't know, just it, it's it's absolutely crazy. Um, I yeah. Think that may be it. I think that's all that I have. Of Well, I guess there is a protest going on with Netflix regarding the Chappelle show. And I guess we can yes. sort of lead yeah. into that. Uh, it's it's almost like a, a brush fire. You know, you're like, okay, is it going to explode? Is it going to, you know, send, send her away? Or is it going to erupt? You, you just don't know because- Like many things, it is just polarizing. And I'm like, can we really have a serious discussion? This is right. ridiculous. Right, exactly, yeah. But I think the polarization- was could have just been predicted completely by Netflix, you know. Mm -hmm. And aside from the, the whole claim of inciting violence, which I actually think is real, you know. Okay. I mean, Chappelle himself is making a really big point throughout that whole special. And, you know, the last line of the special really nails it where he says, stop punching down on my people. Yes. So it feels like his whole if you just listen to his special and how talented he is, you know, his whole take on things is how ridiculous that claim is by the trans and LGBTQ community, which yeah. is like a really valid point. That whole like punching down, punching up, whatever thing. I, I agree there's, that's crap. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, you know, I mean, I'm not worried about Dave Chappelle inciting violence himself on people. I just think that, you know, the impact that his words can potentially have on people who are not him, you know, yes. people who are uh, white incels sitting at home uh, yeah. watching his show and, you know, potentially combining their transphobia, which they now feel emboldened yeah. about with potentially their racism, you know, yeah. and, you know, and then you've got trans people of color already being killed a lot. Uh, so it just, you know, I don't know. I mean, just as a trans man, I have to say some of, I guess I should say the trans world, the whole trans umbrella is not like a unified front <laughs> as yeah. much as many people think it is. Uh, I mean, I come from a generation where transitional generation, I should say, where, you know, we called ourselves transsexuals and, mm -hmm. you know, it was just known, like we knew that we were getting into something that was not going to be easy. Yeah. Uh, and to a large extent, we didn't expect it to be easy. So I think some of the sort of newer trans generations uh, insistence that, things should be better, you know, and that they are entitled to have things be better uh, is new for like some of us in my generation. Right. You know? Well, I mean, if you go all the way back to, oh, what is it? Christine Jurgensen? Yes. Um, yep. I remember being a child and that film about that experience coming out and as a child, just being completely confused because our society 
had no way to contextualize this, none. Right. And, and I think, I love your point specifically. I love the point. I remember, again, another one that I grew up on was Robert Crumb, you know, the underground cartoonist. And he did a cartoon once about, you know, America, love it or leave it, and all these kind of people. And it was supposed to be satire when the white supremacist community started to get to the point of like newsletters and, you know, a big media presence. They grabbed that cartoon unchanged and they put it up. And he was horrified, tried to go to court, First Amendment. They're right. He put this out there. All they had to do was pay the rate and they could use it because right. commercialism, com, you know, capitalism. And I think you're right. Chappelle has positioned himself to protect his community. But by doing that, he has he's offered up some ammunition to these other folk. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh. It, I'm sorry, Ray. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Reg. Go ahead. What I was going to say is, you know, we can get into this, and it ha- it happens with all sorts of minorities, like you know, the whole I call it the suffer game. You know, it's like I've suffered more than you have, and women are like, no, 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 I've suffered more than you have, and let's say the gay community, no, I've suffered more than you have. Then you have gay people of color, no, I've suffered more than gay men or women. Right. Uh, then you have the trans community, and I think we can all. <clears throat> come to the conclusion that you know there the suffering is sort of a global thing i mean even as a black man there's a privilege that i have that someone in africa doesn't have you know ray as a trans man as a white trans man there's a privilege that you have that you wouldn't have if let's say you were gay and trans right so that's right yeah and i actually made a film about that (laughs) oh did you i want to hear about this It's a short film that I made with a co-director, a friend of mine, Zion Johnson, uh, who is African-American. And Zion and I made a film called A Difference uh, that directly uh, spoke about the difference between transitioning from uh, being a white woman to being a white man as versus being a black woman to being a black man. And, you know, this was made a long time ago. So there's been like a lot of discussion about this issue since then. But, you know, there is, yeah, for people like me, uh, I definitely, you know, got some new privilege coins in my purse when I transitioned, you know. I mean, yeah, I used to be just followed around the store uh, if I went into a man's department pre-transition and post-transition, as soon as I started to pass, uh, you know, I was approached in men's departments. People were like, well, we're assuming you have some money. Uh, how would you like to spend it? You know, mm-hmm. some things. So yeah, yeah. Capitalism people, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, you shouldn't be ashamed. No one should be ashamed of their privilege. Obviously, if you take advantage or if you exploit your tri- privilege at the expense of someone else, that's a problem. But no one creates their privilege. You know, we live in America. I could have lived in Cameroon. I could have lived somewhere else. You know, you were born white. You know, you didn't have to be born white. So we're not, you know, we're not, it's not our fault that, you know, America is built the way that it is. And well, that, especially know, in an era, you know, born white, that's now, if, if that was 300 years ago, 400 years ago, a thousand years ago, that meant nothing <laughs> where you were born positioned you in a totally different way. This is the era we live in. 
Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. And this will be a good time to transition into, uh, pardon the pun, into your uh, life story, uh, your origin story, Ray, um, because I honestly believe not only are you a creative, but you're basically a trailblazer. I mean, you know, there are a lot of individuals within the community who could say, wow, I don't know the road that I need to travel to get to a point of acceptance, even people accepting me or me accepting myself, you've had to go through that. And we've had Sherilyn Connolly on, who's talked about her transition from being you know, a man to a woman. Um, but it's good to get your perspective as well. So if you well, don't and, mind- And just recognize also that we we ask everybody for their origin story. Exactly, so it's not just you. Your story may be a little more involved. Yeah, but I mean, oh. it'll, it'll have the resonance. And I think, uh, you know, they'll they'll be, um, it'll, it has some importance. It has a lot of weight because, you know, your origin story is much, much different than anyone else's. But where'd you oh. start? Where'd you come from? Okay, well, first of all, just a bold disclaimer. Uh, this is just my origin story, right? I don't want to like be, I'm not speaking for anybody else who's trans. Exactly, or, that's exactly right. This is just your story, that's exactly. Yeah. So well, that's how we start I, out with baby. Where, where <laughs> baby. were you born? I was born in Syracuse, New York. I was born in upstate New York. Uh, and uh, my parents moved to Massachusetts when I was three. So I have no memory of upstate New York. I uh, grew up in Mass. And, um, you know, for the first 18 years of my life, and when it came time to leave, I got out of there as far as I could at the time, which was Michigan. Uh, did two years at the University of Michigan, dropped out, um, you know, was a terrible student at the university. I mean, frankly, they didn't have a film department at the time. Uh, and uh -huh. I knew that was what I wanted to do. So I dropped out <clears throat> at 20, moved to New York City, and just started working. Um, did one summer semester at New York University in cinematography, learned so much in that summer and then just what, what year working. was what year was that Ray? 1980 just to wow. fully date myself <laughs> yeah. yeah I didn't know if we were there at the same time but uh no this is a lot earlier yeah wow New York in the 80s how, how was that I mean I think about CBGBs I think about yeah. I don't know New York Dolls and all that stuff yeah yeah, the mud club down below Canal Street, just like a little hole in the wall where like I saw Nick Cave play and nice. like, you know, a room with probably 50, 60 people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just walking, I walked into a diner one time in uh, the East Village and all of the Ramones were sitting in a booth oh, there. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Damn, what uh, history, incredible. Yeah, but you know, this is and in both of those instances, I gotta say, I did nothing but like kind of like gape jaw fan, like starstruck, some kind of thing. So I wasn't uh in those were not friends of mine, but right. <laughs> those were people who were around at the time. Uh so but yeah. Forrest was, gumped them. Yeah, it was an era um that a lot of people don't know about, like kind of the birth of the punk new wave world, but a time where punk new wave was like really one word, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and a time like long before uh, punk became really 
kind of codified into like mohawks and leather jackets, you know, it was a time that was very DIY and the whole punk new wave community was really about uh, anybody who was an outsider, including queer folk, you know? So uh, it, and it just radically creative time, I think. And so anyway, I ended up out in San Francisco um, and finished my university stuff at the San Francisco Art Institute uh, in San Francisco. And then uh, ran into a whole lot of trouble in San Francisco um, around 83, 84. And this is gonna be probably be a little personal, but I ended up like running into trouble with drugs and alcohol uh, around that time. And really my life just hit like a brick wall, hit like a rock bottom. And I ended up heading back to my origins, heading back to the East Coast to try and get clean and sober up. And so lived, you know, in Boston and then in Burlington, Vermont for about 10 years. Mm. Uh, and then decided to face some old ghosts and came back out to San Francisco in 94. Um, started the MFA program in film at SFSU. Um, so, nice. <laughs> yeah. So became a grad student there and like in the middle, or I want to say like in the first year of being a film graduate student, I ended up, a friend asked me to act in one of her films. And from there I got cast in a play that was going up at Theater Rhino. And oh, what play, there, what play? Uh, it was a little play called, Are These Your Panties? that was written by a woman, Chris Gosney, who I ended up in a relationship with for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was like a little lesbian farce. Uh, this was pre-transition for me. So, mm -hmm. uh, but that was like 96 and then- Was John Fisher involved uh, with uh, Rhino then? No. No, he I wasn't. Okay, this is pre-John Fisher. I think yeah. so. I'm not- great. I, I don't think he was there at that time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that's yeah. at the Red Brick Building. Yes. I, I've I've done two Rhino shows and both in that building. And yes, I, I remember that era. I mean, that's when um, what's his name? Amiano was um, coming yeah. up as a political figure. Oh, Tom Amiano. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was a uh, very exciting space i think so we were in the yeah. basement right we were in the, the studio, studio. Yes. yeah the studio yeah and then i joined a um oh god what was that called the baby snatching dingoes uh which was like a sketch comedy yeah like a lesbian sketch <laughs> comedy troupe that uh also performed in the studio and and elsewhere um who was so, involved in that i'm just curious uh let's see oh god i'm gonna forget all the names sophie alonzo maria bro um oh shoot me god i can't remember all the names okay. um, what what anyway. where'd you guys act where, where, what building was it in i mean or did you have to rent out a building 
Well, we were in the studio at Rhino. Oh, uh, got it. I got it. I understand. Yeah, we did end up. I don't know. I wasn't involved in the administration of that group, so right. I have no idea who was paying rent to who. Uh, but we also performed um, at several other spaces. I'm trying to remember. God, so long. Uh, the reason so. I asked who, because um, I ended up doing a couple shows with Rhino and then actually producing a show there. And I got to know some of the women and they were clearly, oh, comedic geniuses i was like and they were well known in that community and i was like okay i i didn't even know these people i thought it was amazing that there yeah. was so much talent there yeah well we were not well known <laughs> i have to tell you that much <laughs> i i'm wondering if i know a couple people that you're talking about but we were like off that radar a little bit mm -hmm. so yeah so after that, so after, um, when did you get involved with, I guess, Rhubarb is next. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So again, uh, you know, I started medical transition in 96, 97, then uh, started hormones, started to have surgeries and auditioned for Jeff and Mark Nishimura, got cast in a male role and then cycled through uh, several male roles for theater rhubarb. And, you know, I have to tell you, I mean, I wasn't like consciously doing this at the time, but since then I have actually recommended uh, to people who are transitioning female to male that they uh, act during their first couple of years of transition. That is interesting. That, yeah, it's almost it's almost like a trial. I, I don't know, like maybe trying out. And maybe people do that subconsciously anyway. I mean, for those who, I don't know, who get- Hopefully in a safe space, yeah. Exactly, it's a safe uh, space. It, it, it was very safe. And I got to like try on all many, many different versions of masculinity, some of which I wouldn't want to be playing out in real life. Like, you know, one of the, uh, I think in one of the theater, Rhubarb, Wilhelm Reich in Hell, which was a script written by Robert Anton Wilson, uh, you know, so very underground. And I play, I actually played the Marquis de Sade uh, really? in one of that show. So, you know, so all sorts, all versions of masculinity uh, without like any repercussions <laughs> in real life. So mm -hmm. it was like, you know, it, it really helped me uh, to transition. It helped me to explore uh, all sides of masculinity. So, and I love antagonists. I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that that is so so fascinating. I mean, just the concept. I didn't even think about because I think we've talked earlier in other podcasts how theater can be sort of well. When I was in school, they said you know theater is therapeutic, but it is not therapy. But you can certainly see how it can help someone's emotional growth. Because, uh, and I'm sure as a teacher, Norman, well, both of you have, have been teachers, mm -hmm. where let's say you're working with someone who may not be the great actor or actress in the future, but they'll still learn something from no, the role theater play classes. Is always, role play is always useful. I'm, I'm playing people, I'm doing some gigs that are just role play. So I'm dealing with civilians. I'm dealing with people in their jobs, um, medical students or um, computer um, software programmers folk. yeah yeah well yeah the whole teams 
and um, and I have to role play with him. And, you know, like the last one I did, it kind of cracked me up because I we did some stuff that was about work and then we did some stuff that was personal. What happens when somebody comes to you with their personal stuff? And, you know, I ended up crying just thinking about my mother going to the hospital and trying to deal with that. And I'm watching the screen because we did this on Zoom, thankfully. I'm watching the screen and I'm seeing how it's affecting these people. And the guy who is supposed to be engaged to me one-on-one finally admits that his father just died last year. Mm-hmm. So he understands what I'm going through. And as a human being, I had to stop and recognize as theater person, I was like, wow, score, ding, that was great. As a theater person, I'm realizing, wow, we just opened some really vulnerable shit up. I better make a safe space for it. I better make sure that I'm responding to that. And so as we finished, I just, I said, let me take a minute. Thank you so much for that. That was so personal and that was so wonderful. Let me take a minute because they saw me crying. So I took a minute, got a tissue, wiped my eyes and then said, okay, that was, thank you. You know, and it is when you can make that safe space for somebody, a lot of wonderful things can happen. Yeah. Now, Ray, as a teacher, do you find the same thing? Do you work with students who, let's say they may not be the great film student or uh, I don't know if you've ever taught acting, but you open up to, you know, these psychological or emotional things that was never your intent. But all of a sudden, do, do you have to have to put on the psychiatrist hat or whatever, you know, when you when you're teaching? Um, yeah, sometimes. And I also <laughs> I want to like back up a little bit to when I say uh, I recommend that people in early transition act. Uh, I do want to say that I, at the time, wasn't doing acting as therapy <laughs> for myself. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I know that you weren't. But I mean, sometimes it can happen subliminally or it can happen by accident. You know, things open up and yeah. you didn't even intend for it to happen. Yeah. Looking back, it was coincidentally like nice timing, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, but anyway, yeah, as far as sure, as far as teaching, yeah, people, um, people do open up, people do get vulnerable. And I agree, uh, Norman, you know, you have to uh, respect that when that happens. I mean, you absolutely cannot just uh, skim over it. You really right. have you can't to. move on with the lesson. <laughs> and that's right. Yeah. So, but yeah, that does sometimes happen. Uh, I think what happens more teaching film, I haven't taught acting I actually I I teach film directing now I haven't taught like directing for stage either Mm -hmm. um and what I see happening with film students is just like a lot of like pent-up uh expectation and um I don't know what to call it like a lot of uh intensity about how they are being received uh, Mm -hmm. and how their work is being received. And I think, you know, as you get like a little bit more of a track record and you go through a lot of critique and you even see comment sections, you know, about your own work, like, you know, at a certain point you are still making, especially film is like a mass audience, right? I mean, the idea is to get it out to like as many people as you can, Uh, but you just do develop a little bit of a thicker skin about stopping to try to please everybody. And, you know, and I think 
not to not to pull a point, but that does double back a little bit to something. And I listened to the last episode where you talked about the Dave Chappelle show and something that you said, Reg, actually really hit home with me, which is that, you know, as a transgender person, like, you know, it isn't really reasonable to think that everybody is going to appreciate you, you know, in life. It's just unfortunate that for all of us, sometimes people are not going to appreciate us. But there's like a big, big difference between not being appreciated and being killed, you know. And, you know, when you're actually making the world so unsafe for transgender people that people are going to get killed, you know, that's not like about transgender people not being able to take a joke, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I think I remember that point I was talking about. Well, I mean, as a generation Xer, I think, well, I think Raymond, you and well, actually, you guys may be boomers. You may even call yourselves <laughs> boomers, but our generation. I stay away from all them titles, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all up there at age. I've got my own gray hair, but I don't worry about. As a black man, I'm like, listen, you don't have to like me, but you have to respect me or at least don't get in my way. Allow me to create and do the things that I need to do. You know, I want to have a house. I want to have, you know, the house on a picket fence and all that sort of stuff and give me the opportunity to have a job and to live that American life or, you know, whatever we call it. But just don't get in the way. And I find that millennials, especially, let's say, your budding film students, or and it happens in the theater community as well. You know, we want the proverbial pat on the head. I want everybody to like me. You know, I need the likes. Or we we cringe when we get the uh, the the criticism. You're not going to be universally liked. You're going to get criticism. It's how you absorb the constructive criticism that you get. You know, every time I do a reading for a play that I'm doing, or even as an actor. Let's say if I'm getting a critique from a director, the director is trying to help me be better. Um, and a good critique is to help me as an artist get better. Now, obviously, there are bad critiques, and I have to know, you know what critiques to take in and what not to take. And I know how to ignore the bad stuff. You know, there's going to be what they call them, trolls. You know, they're going to be trolls. Oh, yeah. So yeah. whatever. Mm. Just push them by. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really just a question of like, you know, when when you're trans, when you're in a minoritized community that is actually being killed on a regular basis, you yeah. know, and we are certainly not the only one. I mean, certainly, you yeah. know, the black community is being killed on a regular basis as well. Right. Uh, I just feel like, you know, there has to be some sort of idea past like, oh, you just can't take a joke, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I, I think, you know, go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. Well, I was just going to say something relatively obnoxious, which is that I do think at times my community, the trans community, is like incredibly humorless uh, about themselves, uh, but that's for very good reasons. You yeah. know, I mean, people are struggling like every single day. And frankly, I'm not 
I'm not right yeah. like as an older white trans man so I gotta like stay out of critiquing people who seem to me to be ha lacking a sense of humor yeah I mean I'm very sensitive at uh, you know like people's struggles I may not understand what your struggle may be but I have to at least acknowledge that you are struggling and I think that's the job to be done with cancel culture when it's done properly you know um, get people to understand hey listen you may think that's a funny joke but it hurts me. And I mean, there've been a couple of articles where I think there was a uh, trans uh, man, a uh, black person who was like, hey, I really thought James Fell was funny until, you know, the closer and now I'm hurt and I've been laughing at him all this time. But he wasn't necessarily saying, I'm gonna cancel you and just saying, listen, I'm hurt at this point. This is right, this is my experience. Now, I wonder about the filter. Um, because I feel, and it's so funny, I was just talking to, I had a meeting with a guy yesterday and we were talking about creating projects. And I said, you know, it's been a big part of my career in the time that I've lived as an adult, the majority of stories, as far as I can see, of black men are these images, icons, stereotypes, uh, caricatures, um, things that I don't relate to at all. I am, I'm, if I had to label myself, I'd say I'm suburban black. I'm, I'm not some gangbanger. Uh, rap was, I was, I'm a little bit older than that. So that was a new music. I mean, to me in the same way that punk was, I wasn't ready for either of those. I was just like, what? It took me years to kind of, to start to assimilate that. But I grew up in polite communities and it felt safe. So I have just in the last decade learned a new filter. And that is the, I walk around in your environment, a place where other people might think they are safe and they are comfortable and they kind of see me as an outsider. I don't see myself as an outsider to the point where I've had to start to, I've employed this filter where I'm realizing, oh, you're not comfortable. We're in a situation where we're actually doing great you're doing great. I'm acknowledging you're doing great. You're acknowledging me on some level, but you're not comfortable with it. And it took me a while to kind of go, oh, wait, I can't figure out what's going on here. Maybe this guy is uncomfortable with black people. And I'm like, well, look around the room. Yeah, there's not really very many black people around. This person may have grown up in this community and they're totally uncomfortable with it. And I find that is the way that I actually think about the trans community right now is I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm an old man. I've grown up in a world, I've grown up in what I even thought was a liberal world, but I am being challenged in all kinds of ways, language and perception and, and that threat that to me is not a threat. It's not a threat to me, but if I stop and think about it, I'm like, oh, I can see how, even if it's not a direct threat to you, it's not clear that it's not a threat and you're being safe. What kind of idiot am I to not acknowledge that? Why wouldn't I want you to be safe? Yeah. 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 And even though it's, you know, I say it's not like me walking down the street on a given day, I am not threatened for being a trans person, at least largely because I'm not read as being a trans person. But, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> the thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing about transness is that, uh, you know, in certain situations, if that's revealed about me, uh, which is verbally, has to be verbally, sort of a confession, uh, 
all of a sudden my safety is gone. It just yep. disappears, you know, and as much as, you know, to some of the trans community, to some of the younger trans community, I am dated, I am old fashioned, I'm like old school, I need to like, I'm dying out, you know, I'm right. so dated. Uh, but to some of the straight cisgendered male community, uh, I am not male. I am like as trans as they come and, right. you know, and I deserve to die as much as anybody else does. So, yeah, that, that's a shame. I wanted yeah. to, inter I wanted to interject a little bit Ray, because when I met you, I was involved in a group uh, and, you know, we, you were talking about in 97, you had your surgery about three years later, you and I were involved in um, Bay Stage's last production, the marriage of Bet and Boo, where I stage oh. managed you. And, you know, you, you had just mentioned that, you know, when straight men or heterosexual men, uh, you know, well, men look at you, they see, you know, a, a trans person. I didn't see that at all. And of course, you never, you didn't tell me until I think after, I think it was after uh, we did Bet and Boo um, that, you know, and, and because you brought me into the, uh, the reading of The Sweet New. Um, and of course, you didn't have to tell me that at all. But what I saw when I, when we did Water Buffalo, it was Water Buffalo that we did. That was the last base stage thing. Yeah, um, who I directed. Exactly. I, so I got the two mixed up. But in Water Buffalo, I saw a very charismatic, lively, very funny guy. You were just a guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we had a lot of a lot of fun <laughs> with Water Buffalo, although it didn't bring in a lot of audiences. I mean, it was just such a there was a lot of uh, crazy things going on. Uh, and matter of fact, I had Bob and Travis on the podcast, and we talked about how okay. Bob had produced the whole thing and was upset with the director, Jerry Diego, and there was almost a fight. And right. it's a shame because the script was actually awesome. And it dealt yeah. with a lot of uh, gender-crossing issues. I mean, you know, Travis played Gita Ukraine, who right. was having an affair with the woman who was married to Bob, who right. was your best friend, but, you know, and so it was, it was wild and zany. Yeah. Um, Interesting. What, what were your memories? Of, what was your memories of uh, Water Buffalo? Um, well, aside from, aside from your mention of the fact that it's never good for a producer to also be a lead actor and put somebody yeah. in between those two roles as a director, like never don't do it. You know, uh, aside from that, my memory was that it was just a lot of fun, you know, mm. and many different versions of gender. And really, that was just about casting. Although I have to say that at the time, uh, I wasn't seeing myself as looking trans on stage. So, so yeah, I was just... Uh, another male actor in the show. So I'm not sure. And, you know, I don't know how many of you have seen the more recent documentary Disclosure, um, but that documentary is something to watch if you haven't watched it already uh, by Sam Theater. It's uh, really set with actors in the film industry in LA, uh, but talking about all kinds of transgender actors talking about representation and a lot about you know being trans having to play transgender characters wanting to play transgender characters wanting to stay stealth so you're not limited to playing transgender characters and you know just a whole realm of uh 
younger, younger than me, uh, trans actors just beyond skilled uh, and out there in the world now, you know. I had a quick question for you, Ray. As you mentioned that, there was a, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the uh, the MTV video. It was um, Robert Palmer. It was a song called Some Like It Hot. And it was a really, really popular uh, video. And there was a um, an actress who sort of played the love interest who was, you know, like, you know, these MTV videos, they're dancing around, they're on cars, and they're the sex symbol, mm-hmm. and their hair's flowing. And in that video, Some Like It Hot, it was revealed that the woman was actually trans. And I think she was pre- Op, op, pre-op trans and it was a bit of a tragic story because she was outed she was outed uh years later uh and it affected her career the question that i had for you is it necessary like i listened to the dan savage uh, love podcast and he's a fantastic person talking about all sorts of sexual issues not only sex the act but sex right. identity right is it necessary to you know, there, there are people who are gay who are like, hey, I need to tell people that I'm gay because it's part of my identity and I don't want to be in the closet. Is there such a thing, I guess, with you? And of course, you're not a representative of the trans community. This is just yourself. But does, do people need to know that you're trans? I mean, I didn't. And that's a good question, because uh, in theater rhubarb, you know, after getting cast as male and for a long time, I didn't even tell like new troop members who came onto the troop that I was trans. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and that's called being stealth in the trans world. It's not called oh. being in the closet. There's okay. a difference. Sure. There's a difference. So, uh, so I was stealth for a long time. And even at work, I mean, in San Francisco, I just didn't uh, come out as being trans a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. But what happened to me, and I think this is because, you know, initially I came out into the lesbian community as when I first realized I was attracted to women Mm -hmm. and uh, was in that community for about 12 years. So I really grew up in the LGBTQ community. I mean, I I came out when I was 23. so, uh, So after a while of being stealth, you know, basically being stealth as a heterosexual man. Uh, I just missed, I missed my queer community. I mean, the queer community was uh, who I was. It was really about me. And uh, so I started to like rejoin. I mean, I, I had never really dropped it. I mean, of course, like, you know, performing in Theater Rhino and, you know, it's hard to drop completely in San Francisco, but I really dropped the stealth. Like I started to talk more about being trans. I was making films about being trans. I, you know, was a lot more open and certainly, you know, having moved here to Minnesota, my God, I mean, because I'm not in Minneapolis, I'm like hours away from Minneapolis. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm at a public university. Minnesota has a public university system that's mm-hmm. pretty close to the CSU system in California, right. a lot of campuses. So no, I think I know uh, somebody out there. So I was, yeah, I, I was appreciative that that was, again, somebody from the Bay Area who you could not imagine being in a community that was less than liberal. I'm like, it's got to have some liberal community there. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, my God. It was complete culture shock when I got here. 
But I also realized like almost immediately uh, on getting here that I could not be stealth here, you know, that it was, I mean, I could physically be stealth, but I needed to like stand up uh, and become visible because there were like a lot of students, a lot of younger people uh, who were from this area who, you know, were being kicked out of their homes and right. couch surfing and, you know, just having a really bad time of things. So, you know, I needed to like stand up and, you know, frankly, as a professor, having some sort of authority put on my shoulders, you know, I just needed to like be visible right. and say, hey, I'm here. Uh, you can do this, you know. That's awesome. So, so I dropped the stealth altogether and have been like, you know, ridiculously out here. I mean, to a point where I felt like people start to see me more for being transgender mm -hmm. than for my creative work. And right. that right. does bother me a little bit. I mean, I still, there's many times where I felt like I have to say, you know, hey, I'm actually a filmmaker, you know, I'm actually, I, I do things aside right. from being transgender. Right. Uh, but, you know, but I have had to be out here a whole lot. Um, that I'm, is an, I'm it, curious. It, it, go ahead. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask this because I don't know the answer and because I would love some guidance, um, which is not your job, so isn't. But I know a couple of people who are trans and I knew them before they transitioned and I've tried to keep in touch and it's clear to me that they are not comfortable with that. And so I, I respect that, you know, I don't push it. I let it go. And one person like we're Facebook friends. And so, and we had done theater, we had met in theater before transition. And I really appreciated their energy. And so, and I watched the transition happen online. It was pretty amazing. One of the things was they moved to not far away, but to another community where they could mm. just be that new man. And mm. I have tried even this year, even recent months to just kind of go, hey, you know what? I, if, if there's some possibility, I'd love to work with you. I would love to just say hi and connect and I get the sense that as close as it ever comes, it never comes to an actual, let's set a date, let's meet. The few times it's come mm -hmm. close to that, they've been canceled. And I've been, I'm like, okay, I, I recognize that I may end up being an awkward person in that situation, and that might not be comfortable. And so again, I have to respect that, but I just wonder if you have a sense of how that dynamic works. Um. I'm sorry. First of all, I'm sorry that you're having that experience. Uh, that is so like not the way I react to people earlier in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know many people do do that. Many people actually make sort of a clean break uh, from their past and set themselves up as somebody completely different. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you do just have to, I mean, I respect that. I do respect that. But, you know, I think that comes 
from the fact of, you know, not wanting to have to like talk about our transition a whole lot, you know, just, just let me me be, I don't want to like rehash who I was, what I, what happened, you know, or explain. Yeah. 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 I, I, I had a quick question and I know we're bumping into the one hour mark. So if any, you know, I want to be respectful of people's time. So feel free to let me know. Hey, I got to go. But uh, you brought up a lot of uh, cool things that we haven't even gotten into. I want to hear about the sweet new because uh, you, like you said, you want to, um, I'm, I'm mixing two questions into one because you talk about, yes, you're transgendered, but you don't want to be, you really want to be known as an artist. You know, that wants to be the first and foremost. And I totally understand that. But then you made the decision, you know what, I'm going to write and I'm going to produce The Sweet New, which is sort of both. It's, you know, it's your, uh, your writing debut, I believe, um, your directing, and also it's, it's your life. So can you talk about The Sweet New? Yeah, yeah. The Sweet New um, <clears throat> is a play that I wrote that actually uh, came out of a, a letter that I got. So I am... Uh, half Italian American, my grandfather, my father is first generation Italian American. Uh, so, um, so I got a letter from my Italian godfather, my grandfather's best friend, uh, after my grandfather died, just kind of like detailing my grandfather's life. And, uh, in that, and I had known a little bit about this, but my grandfather was interned uh, when he tried to emigrate during World War II. So mm-hmm. he was interned as an enemy alien, which was happening to some Italian nationals. So, um, and then, so he was going through an emigration change. My father, when he was growing up, went through an assimilation change where you know, he was called a WAP a lot in high school. So basically tried to like, I mean, he forgot, quote unquote, forgot all his Italian uh, and Mm. legally Mm. changed his name uh, from Lorenzo Rea, pronounced Rea, to Lawrence Ray, you know, just Americanized his name. So when I started transitioning and excuse me, looking back on that, it was interesting to me that I wasn't the first man in this lineage to do a legal name change. So, uh, and also, you know, had really come to compare a little bit um, transition, gender transition to immigration, you know, in the sense of leaving one country and going to a new country learning new customs so so that's sort of the larger some of my voice is going and that's it's sort a, of the larger story behind the sweet new yeah no it's it's amazing and the, just the analogy of you know that yeah the metaphorical transitioning from one country to another but also just the the acceptance you know like you've had to deal with the acceptance and i'm sure you may have felt well I'm the only one, uh, you know, of, of my family. But then, you know, you hear, oh, wait a minute, you know, my father had to go through something like this from an immigration standpoint, and my grandfather had to go through this. So it's very rich, and it incorporates your story with the story of your family, and it also connects your family together, I would think. Um, 
when you did the production, cool. yeah. yeah, it is. It's awesome. It's just fantastic, and it's great. I mean, just the the concept is wonderful. Did your family? Did they come to see it? I mean, did they uh, come to appreciate uh, the story you were trying to convey? Um, my family, uh, the vast majority of them, are still on the East Coast. So, and it first went up on exit stage left in the exit theater. So. Uh, so no, <laughs> they didn't see it there, but there was like a very large, uh, you know, San Franciscan, uh, Italian community audience that came to see it and yeah. enjoyed it. And also there's a historian over in the North Bay called Lawrence DeStasi, who, um, has really like one of the historians about Italian internment. And, uh, so he came and, introduce the play at one night so you know and it just it was really helpful for me to feel connected to that community in San Francisco as well but there's like a scene in the play where um you know all three generations all three male generations are having a conversation and uh and arguing with each other and so in the audience, there was usually, even in that small audience at exit stage left, about half the audience was from the queer community, and the other half the audience was from this old school San Franciscan Italian, Italian American community. Mm. And there was just like some really severe tension uh, in the room between those two communities, like right. until that scene came up and then all of a sudden people were starting to laugh together. And that was like uh, a really sweet moment for me uh, just to be able to hear that. So Wow, the magic of theater, that, that is just, just awesome. Roger, um, are you saying that you, were you working on this? Did you work on this? I just, I just, did, I just did a brief reading on it. I, I wasn't involved with it at all. I'm not sure, exactly sure why. I well, saw reading some, is involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was very, and that was really when, I don't know if you remember this, Ray, but I was even asking you advice on a girlfriend because I was, uh, <laughs> uh, this is after uh, we did the marriage of Bet and Boo and before you even told me that, you know, you had transitioned because I was like, hey, you know, I, I needed some advice because I was going through some issues with a girlfriend of mine during uh, Water Buffalo. And I was asking you about that just, and I think you gave me some advice, but it's just another example that I did not see you you know, in this context, I merely saw you as a guy. Okay, so my question to you about that, Reg, if you had known that I was a trans man, would you not have asked me for that advice? I would say as as being a 52-year-old man now, I'd probably say yes. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, (laughs) I didn't have any, it's... um, I don't, I don't think I had any issues at all. I mean, now, if you had asked me if you were a pre-op trans person, let's say if you did not visually look like a man, um, probably not. And, you know, that's on me. You know, that's um, like as Norman was saying, you know, that's acceptance goes both ways. The person who's looking for acceptance and also the person who needs to give acceptance. You know, I think there's a lot of growing on both sides. But I just want to yeah. get my perspective on it yeah they're just well i appreciate that rich and i don't want to like draw away from the personal element at all i mean i think it's it's just interesting to me because yes i mean i have lived as a man who dates women for 
much longer in my life than I lived as a woman at this point. Uh, So, but even when you knew me, I was a man who dated a woman. So, you know, if I can say so, I was, you know, qualified to give advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's why I asked you. And that's why I felt close enough to you to, to even ask, because while we were doing the production of um, the marriage of Betten Boo, you and I had a lot of time. I mean, as, as always is for a director and a stage manager, you know, we're the ones who are first in, in the, uh, the theater and the last and, to clean out all sorts of stuff. And of course there were all sorts of parties. I think we had at least three cast parties afterwards. Right. Uh, you know, we were just going absolutely crazy, which shows how connected we were uh, as a group. Um, but I think you and I were sort of serious types who were really focused on the work itself. Right. Um, one last question, I guess, because we are hitting towards the one hour mark. And it's one thing that we ask all, you know, all theater, well, oh, I have a question please. before your last question. Yes, yes, yes. And that is, how, what was your moving on from Bay Area Theater? What, what, what moved you to the next place? Here to Minnesota. Is that uh, where it was? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I didn't want to leave San Francisco at all. I mean, San Francisco was my, is in some ways still my creative base, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but you know, my job, I was a lecturer at SFSU. Uh, so my job was continuously threatened, right. uh, budget cuts. And also, you know, academia is like the military. You know, you've got a rank that translates nationwide. So you're always trying to make a move to jump rank. And sure. uh, so after eight years of adjuncting in San Francisco, I finally decided to put myself on the national job market and look for a tenure track job, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what I have here. Of course, you know, back then I thought tenure meant something. It turns out (laughs) in this day and age, it hardly means anything. Uh, But yeah, everything is challenged. It doesn't mean job security? No, no. Wow. Tenured people are being let go at this point. Yeah. I did. I did want to interject. You taught Ruben Grijalva. That's a connection. That, really? Uh, yes. Yeah. You were his. You yeah. were his teacher. Oh, I did Ruben's that. my boy. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. me some Ruben. Yeah. And I got to yeah. direct a, a piece with him, and then as an actor, I auditioned. God, I guess it was earlier. No, I think it was last year. I think it was in the fall, last fall. Um, got to audition for a piece that he'd been commissioned to do, and I was like, "This is weird," because I'm thinking of the kid that I've been working with. And all of a sudden, it's not like he's in a, a position to make any choices, but if I'd ended up in the show, I'd have been like, I'm working for this kid now. This is weird. Have you had connections with uh, Ruben uh, Raymond? He's married, he has a kid now. Uh, he's... Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I follow along with him on social media. We haven't completely stayed in touch, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I see him. I see him, I see him doing great work. Because yeah. right. So, no, uh, his work is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. What I was going to ask you, I mean, you talked about, you know, going to uh, Minnesota and, of course, you know, the job market took you there. Um, the only question that I had was, what has theater sort of meant to you? I mean, it sounds, it sounds like you were not a part of the theater community when you were younger. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of folks who, th- there's a certain type of individual that is gravitated, you know, they, it, they gravitate towards theater 
And even though you're in film, it's still a, excuse me, a storytelling medium. What, what gravitated you towards theater? I'm glad to see another cat. Yay. My cat came in here and just started performing. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You never do this. <laughs> yeah, my cat, like, I, I've been doing classes on Zoom. And my cat re makes regular cameos for my right. students. So, yeah. So theater, I don't know. Um, you know, theater rhubarb, I really liked the experimental risk-taking nature of theater rhubarb, I have to say. Mm. Um, I am not, all, my films usually have some side of experimentalism to them. So, uh, and I think, you know, taking the path to become an academic has certainly allowed me to like stick with experimentalism in ways that if I was say, you know, administering uh, a large company, you know, probably would have to work with scripts or subjects or films or something that were less experimental to be able to bring in the books. Um, so, but my films, you know, have done pretty well uh, being experimental. It's just that um, that's my interest. You know, theater itself still makes an appearance in my films, but mm -hmm. not uh, not traditional theater. So. Right. Yeah. And I've well, always traditional felt theater isn't traditional theater anymore. <laughs> it's it's become a new animal. It really has. Yeah. I mean, when I think about the films that I really, really enjoy, a lot of them come out of theater. They're like a theatrical. They're, um, you know, when I think of uh, like. American Buffalo, when I think of um, 12 Angry Men or uh, some of the um, the uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross, you know, very dialogue based, uh, you know, something that sure it's on film, but this can easily have been on like a black box theater. That's mm. the sort of theater that, that I mean, that's the sort of film or media that I'm drawn towards. So I really mm. do think that for those who are, you know, I don't know, film writers or film creatives starting in theater, uh, is a, is a very good bet because mm -hmm. it's a great foundation to be in. I mean, when you when yeah. you agree, Ray? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, since moving here, Reg, uh, I've been some of my film has really veered towards nonfiction, uh, mm -hmm. just because it's been hard in the area that I am in to be able to cast the way I would want to cast if I mm -hmm. was doing something narrative. I mean, so. So I've started to do a lot more nonfiction, but again, the nonfiction that I'm doing is pretty experimental. So, and I actually have uh, my most recent project is gonna be screened in the San Francisco Transgender Film Fest uh, that's coming up online on November 11th to 14th, I think. I, I can get that to you, but- Yeah, I'm writing it down. Transgender Film Fest. So I had films in, it used to be called Tranny Fest, right? Like when it first started uh, back in San Francisco in 96, 97, 98, uh, just this tiny little transgender film festival that was probably, I think it was one out of two on the entire continent. There was yeah. also a trans film festival called- Back, Count back when that term was acceptable. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 
I mean, Norman, yes, back then we were transsexuals, right? That's who we were. But I mean, the tranny, um, I remember when that debate suddenly started happening, I was like, okay, I can see, yes, let's move on, move forward. Yes, <laughs> exactly, yeah. What, what so, film is it? What film is it? I'm, I'm writing it down. Uh, my film is called Put the Brights On, and it's a film about... Uh, rural transgender experience, uh, especially here in Minnesota. Mm. Put the brakes on. Okay, so that'll be at that. the- Rural so, transgender, I love that. <laughs> yeah, is it, is it called, it, go ahead. Go ahead, Brad, sorry. I was just gonna say, is it the Transgender Film Festival? Is that what it's called? It's called the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival. Okay, November the 11th through the 14th. Yeah, we'll, we'll pump that. Okay. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, what a fantastic conversation we're having. Um, is it time? Because it's 114 now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, not, not, I'm not in any rush at all, but we should get into our birthday shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Um, and it's funny because our schedule has been so erratic lately. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and, and again, put out to Jennifer LeBlanc's birthday was like a day or two ago. Um, amazing, amazing barrier person. Rachel Baker is somebody I got to do a Hamlet with, and that was exciting and weird. Uh, very small cast, Hamlet. Uh, Thomas Simpson, Afro Solo, he's the creator, founder of Afro Solo. And every time I think our relationship is done, he pulls me back. So they did a Zoom thing at the beginning of the year and I got to direct yet another solo piece. That was wonderful. Ashley Smiley is somebody I've never met, but she teaches at Berkeley. She teaches at Cal. And I see her stuff online and she is a fierce advocate for theater, people of color, um, all kinds of identity issues. She's, she's just on it. Uh, Luana Stewart is somebody I got to watch. I met as a high school student and she became a stage manager and has been working in Bay Area theater for, geez, it's probably about 20 years now. Uh, Priya, oh, I will leave that one for you. Richard Sade is one of the gurus of acting. If you are looking to take an acting class, you can pay an insane amount of money to take one with Richard Sade. Side, that's right, that's how it's pronounced. Richard uh, teaches here and in LA um, for way more money than I would ever spend, but everybody I know who's taken his classes thinks he's fabulous. Emily Austin is uh, somebody I met when I was working at Cal Shakes as a theater, um, as a teaching artist. Um, and she is an amazing, I didn't know, I didn't know that she was an actor, actor, director, um, educator. And she's married to Michael Barrett Austin, who is one of my favorite people on the planet now. Michael Patrick Gaffney is an actor I just saw. I didn't mention that Monday Night Playground just happened this last Monday. So we did our first in-person performance since the lockdown started. Um, this season is gonna be in-person and streamed, which I'm still trying to figure out how that works, but we have three cameras and it's been pretty wild. And he came out to see the show, that was wonderful. Evie Abat is, um, was a young actress that I got to cast. The first time I got to direct a Filipino, a Jeannie Baroga play, um, she played our lead character. The, I don't even know what accolade I can give him. James Carpenter 
this is when you talk about local actors, Bay Area actors, James Carpenter is kind of top of the heap right now. But having said that, I have to admit, I got a phone call from Julian Lopez Maria today. Uh, we did um, Death of the Salesman. He played Willie Loman. And we are just about to start rehearsing for this great expectation. He called me today because we have to get a COVID test before we can go into rehearsal Tuesday. And they're in San Jose. And he's like, I don't want to drive all the way down there and drive back. And I heard that you found one in Oakland. And I'm like, yeah, I did. So we're going to be working together. And he is yet another of those of that generation of actor where it's like, oh, my God, I'm so got so glad that you guys get to keep going. Aaron Wilton is on the other end of that spectrum, a younger actor. I met him as a young actor. He is in the union and has been a spokesperson for the local union. And he was in the play that I just directed at Playground. It was called Bishert, which is a Yiddish term for this sort of reincarnation reunion. Wonderful play. Uh, Sarah Cavier is somebody I went to high school with. And it's weird. In high school, you see these people and you're like, oh, my God, you're going to be a great actor someday. She didn't. She immediately went into film work and started directing and making film. David Usner is an actor whose name I have heard forever in Bay Area theater. If you see. Um, is it I think it's uh, the last man in last black man in San Francisco. There's a naked guy wandering around. That's David Usner, which is a horrible way to describe somebody. He's actually a really fun, wonderful actor. But if you want to see all of David, watch that movie. Karen Schleifler was the stage manager and production manager for San Francisco Shakespeare's As You Like It, which I did a couple of years ago. Um, and what's weird is she was, at the beginning of the summer, the production manager for um, Pericles. I was not at that time in the show. And then after I saw an announcement saying that she was moving on to another project, I got cast. I got hired to play the, be the understudy in that production. So our paths just barely missed. Uh, Andy C. Trendle is one of the creators of Second Wind Productions um, and also an amazing actor, wonderful actor. I've seen her at the Phoenix more than once. Um, Heidi Hernandez Gaddy, I have to admit, was one of the first times I ever fell in love with the stage manager. I mean, like serious crush. And the first thing I found out she was married, happily married. And I was just like, I really respect you and you're wonderful. And I wish you weren't married, but that's okay. Life, life happens. Those are my birthdays for the week. And mine will be very, very quick. Uh, yesterday, Jessica Coker Moore, she had her birthday and we had her on the yay. She's a wonderful singer and actress. She's usually in Ray of Light Theater. Uh, great, great belter. Um, on the 24th, which is tomorrow, we have uh, Ashton Dylan Quarles. We call him Matty Q. And he was a stage manager when we did the... Um, uh, okay, I'm reading your notes. Uh, Matty Q, uh, he was our stage manager when we did the... Um, oh, shucks. Um, um, senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> town, hall, town hall theater um y'all did uh, a show called the senior moment no 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 but in any case so, you know it's, it's what's interesting about maddie q is that uh, when we were doing women on the verge of a nervous breakdown thank you uh we there was actually gunplay there and he was very very good at making sure that 
protocols were done. I mean, there was no threat that the gun would go off. It wasn't even supposed to go off, but he treated it as if it were a live gun. So Matty Q, you know, all hats, hats off to you. Great stage manager and happy birthday to you. Also, Marla Cox, I wrote a little uh, piece called uh, Nia, which was featured at the uh, Musical Cafe, and she was my lead actress, and we've had her on on the A. Uh, happy birthday to you, Marla. Uh, you were about to mention Priya Gayadeen. Uh, she is a fantastic actress. And, and, I, and I can't pronounce the last name, so I'm glad you jumped in. <laughs> Yeah, at first I'd pronounce it Goyadine, but it's actually Gayadine. A wonderful actress and such an interesting background. Um, she's Middle Eastern, but she grew up in Guyana, lived in um, Canada, then uh, lived in the D.C. area, Baltimore area, and then, uh, you know, had a, a thriving theater, um, actually film, television um, experience uh, in Brazil. And now she's in the Bay Area and now she's doing stand up comedy and uh, she's really, really just kicking butt. I had exchanged a couple of emails with her and she's talking about how she bombs on stage sometimes, but, you know, she's actually enjoying the experience and uh, she looks like she's an up and comer uh, because I see her being showcased all the time. So happy birthday, Priya. Yay. Um, and the last one that I have is Alex Frankel. There was a little uh, teeny weeny musical that we did for. Um, the uh, the French Festival, the um, and it was um, Texas Chainsaw Musical, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was one of the featured actors there. A great singer. I haven't seen him around. I have no idea what he's doing these days. But uh, happy birthday to you! And those are my birthdays um, shows. Okay, so I, I don't have any that are coming up. I did want to mention Monday Night Playground, which happens the third Monday of every month during the theater season. So this was our opener. Um, I did the shirt. There were six pieces. I personally think my piece was the best, but that's only because there was a whole lot of mix between artists and playwrights and technical, you know, it, we, we had a bumpy start, but we, we are off and running. And then I also wanted to just share, um, this is Pericles, the musical. This is um, the director, or they made an image of this with all the actors and the director printed them out. I hate the fact that my picture's not on here, but that's because I was just a lowly understudy, even though I did go on. Yeah, no, and you did a magnificent- But I don't have any, I don't have any other current shows. Yeah. The, oh no, actually, God, I should mention Perspective Theater. Um, their uh, play, I uh, can't think of the name of it now. I'll look it up while you do yours. <laughs> okay. I did want to ask a question about Playground. Uh, are they, so I know that they, you know, you guys did it last Monday. I shouldn't say you guys, because I'm involved in it as well. You are involved in it. <laughs> I read your play. Did you? I wrote I it. I wrote it. Yes, I wrote it I yesterday. I read all the plays. Wow. I wrote it yesterday and you read it. Awesome. No, no, no. Wait, you didn't submit one for this last one for October? Uh, no, uh, I submitted one for November. I literally oh. saw the, uh, the, Crap. I haven't read those yet. There's a whole <laughs> nother pile coming. Right. Exactly. See, so you're reading a play that I hadn't even written anyway. Uh, what I was going to ask is, so this coming Monday, I mean, do they, is, is the performance only once or will it, will so it So because, and this is, and ooh, I, I may get in trouble saying this, but so equity and I am an equity member. Equity is problematic right now. They have not done a good job of moving into the 21st century. And so they did not deal with COVID as badly as everybody has dealt with COVID. Equity has done no better. 
So Equity jammed up producers with all kinds of things like you've got to test your actors twice a week, blah, 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 all kinds of stuff. That is just difficult. It's difficult for the actors. It's difficult for the producers. Um, so when Playground approached Equity about how can we make this work, and they came up with this list of things that just made no sense. For Monday Night Playground, we call the actors in one day. They come in, they rehearse, we do tech, and then we perform. And it's all in like a five-hour block. So all these other things were just really restrictive. SAG said, go for it. You're, SAG basically said, you're going to turn a camera on? Cool. And these are the rules, which are at least, you know, not as much as what equity is asking for. And so you're like, great. So we're under a SAG agreement, which means it is live streamed during the show. Apparently, and I actually wrote an email just yesterday saying, I don't understand this. And if I'm trying to tell my family that they can see the show, what am I telling them? You get a ticket. You have to get a ticket to get into the live stream. If you're not going to be there in person, you have to have a ticket to, to log into the live screen. Once you have that ticket, it supposedly opens up, links you to an on-demand where you can see it, I guess, until the next one. So about a month, you get a chance to see it. Okay, so that was, yeah, that was my basic question. So let's say someone misses it the last Monday. They can either come in the next Monday or they can see a live stream up supposedly until... but okay. i spent i wasted a good two hours the other day trying to do it and i finally wrote like and i wrote on the i went on their facebook page mm -hmm. and wrote a very public message saying i can't figure this out i want my mom to see it i was going to show it to my mom we have a ticket my wife bought a ticket so i have a link i can't get in Okay, well, but, but yeah. that's what supposedly is going on. And hopefully by the next time we talk about this, I will have a really clear answer on how you can actually do it. Yeah. So let me uh, push uh, the other shows. Poor Ray, you've been very, very patient, Ray. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm so far outside the Bay Area at this point. It's great to hear about everything that's going yeah. on. We're in a messy period. People are trying to reconfigure. Yeah, yeah, and COVID has thrown a wrench in a lot of the a lot of the stuff. But there are theater companies that are still pushing on, like Club Fugazi. They're doing Speechless Live, and I heard about this through Cassidy Brown. Cassidy Brown had I posted on Facebook that I guess it's opening back up. I guess it's a Club Fugazi is a club in San Francisco that focuses on comedy. So uh, I have a link here. Uh, it'll open uh, October the twenty third, which is today tonight. Crystal Brown is also in it as well. Oh, nice. we've, had, we've had her on the A a bunch of times. Also, uh, Shotgun Players, they are doing The Claim. Radhika Rao, one of our favorite actresses, is in that. It opened October the 14th, and it ends October the 30th. New Conservatory Theater is doing Interlude. Uh, Sean J. West is directing that. That opened on the 13th of October, and it closes November the 7th, so you can still see that. Also, Foothill College is doing The Book of Will. Um, on November the 5th through the 21st, this is, it's a little far out. Uh, well, I guess uh, next week, Eko Yamamoto is in that. She is just getting cast over and over and over again. I'm so happy for Eko, uh, just doing, you know, a fantastic job. She was one of the first yay individuals because usually when we get people to come on to the yay, either it's something, somebody I know or somebody that you know, Norman, mm -hmm. Eko was one of the ones who heard the yay, contacted us and says, hey, I want to get on the yay. So, 
I'm, I'm very, very happy for Echo. Uh, so that's the Book of Will. Uh, the Revolutionists is playing at the Palo Alto Players. Kimberly Ridgway, and we've talked about her at Nauseam, just an amazing actress and writer and creative. She's and in the show. And working all over the place, yes. That's right, working all over the place. Also, Berkeley Playhouse, we've talked about this, Into the Woods. Uh, that'll be November the 19th through the 23rd. Anna Yoham and Mara Sotelo is in that. And uh, I've talked about Central Works Grip Club. You can, that's still going on. You'll uh, download and read a play script, send in your questions for the playwright, and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright. It's delivered monthly, and we'll have a link to that. Uh, our good friend Barry Graves has a podcast, The Black Man's Heart, so you should check that out. Also, Mallory Samara has uh, CBS Radio. Uh, that's a podcast, Connect the Dots. So check that out. And Biddlestiff has The Fobcast. Check that out. Also, while I've got you, yay jerseys. Yay! Check them out. We've got them black and we've got them white. And uh, we've had Scott Munson. He purchased one. Kim Donovan purchased one. Uh, let's see. Who else? Uh, Letita Duarte. I had some actual ex, um, some guys who um, who have retired from uh, my job, the uh, DA's office. Uh, they ordered one and my sister ordered four. So um it's it's flying off the charts robert estes he has one so uh crystal piemonte jung she's getting one i was going to see if i can give it to you to give it to her but she may not be performing um i know she's involved in playground but i'm not sure if she'll be performing this no she, I, I, oh the next one maybe i won't be okay i'll probably be in rehearsal so um any either which way We've got the A jerseys. Thank you so much for those who have uh, purchased it. It is $30. It used to be $20, but we've had to up it because it costs a lot to make it. But it will certainly uh, help us out. And what we do is we promote Bay Area theater and the Bay Area theater artists. So thank you so much. Uh, speaking of thank you, Ray, thank you so much. Did you enjoy yourself? I, I do have two shows. Oh, you do have two shows. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, um, Norman. Perspective Theater is doing somewhere. It may close tonight. I just looked at the website. Um, and that's at the, um, I think it's not the Dragon Theater, um, Pear, the Pear. Um, and then Oakland Theater Project is doing a play called Brilliant, and that'll run through the 31st. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ray, did you enjoy yourself? I did. I did. First of all, it was just great to catch up with you, Reg, and nice to meet you, Norman. And yeah, hopefully I said something that made sense. I, I always know it's dicey to talk about transgender issues, even as a transgender person. So, uh, you know, big disclaimer, whatever I said, only my own thoughts, not trying to represent anybody else, but uh, was so happy. Thank you, Reg, for asking me to be on the show. No, thank you. And thank you for giving us a perspective. And I, I really think everyone's perspective has some meaning, you know, it's not like you're saying, well, listen, I'm speaking for the entire community. Like I can't speak for the entire black community, but you, you still have a voice and uh, you've been a part of the Bay Area theater community, although you're still in Minnesota, you're in Minnesota now. But, you know, you were part of Theater Rhubarb. You were a part of um, Diversity Over Duration, you know, the company that you created. And it's I think in your own little way, I mean, being a sort of a trailblazer, someone who has had to go through these issues, you know, just that story of you talking about, you know, opening yourself up so that your students can say, hey, you know what, I'm not the only one. Um, that means a lot. That means an awful lot. So, you know, um, God bless you, Ray. You know, that that is just fantastic. Any case, 
this is uh, the yeah, you're probably looking at this on YouTube. I'm sure our YouTube uh, folks are like, wow, fantastic. They finally put us, uh, got a YouTube uh, thing up because we've been doing it live for the last couple of times. But uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe, give us a thumbs up, tell us what you like and what you don't like about the A. Uh, any questions that you may have, let us know. If you're listening to us on the traditional podcast apps, we're on all podcast apps, we're on that purple podcast app on the iPhone and the iPad. And also, if you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. Our Twitter feed is the A3. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Ray, do you do any social media? Any uh, place where people can, um, you know, learn more about you and all that yeah. stuff? Sure. We got a website. I have a website, yes, and my company uh, is actually density over duration, not diversity over duration. Oh, so, okay, thank you. Thank you for uh, the, the correction. Yeah, yeah we got the link uh, in the uh, chat. Yeah, there's a link there. Uh, but yeah, I've got, uh, I also am on Instagram as much as, I'm on Facebook, but not as much as I used to be. Mm -hmm. So my Instagram is affected underscore by underscore light. And I'll put that in the chat too. Yep. And I've got that. Yeah, that's right. I have been, you know, it's funny when I add people on uh, Twitter, <clears throat> I'll sometimes forget their moniker and I'm like, okay, who's affected by light again? Oh, wait a minute. There's okay. This Ray. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yay. Cool. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a wonderful Saturday. Uh, hopefully the weather's wonderful the in Minnesota there. <clears throat> little chilly uh yeah it was down in like the low 40s this morning so a little nippy but you know what can you expect we're like way way north so. yeah yeah exactly yeah. all right everyone enjoy your weekend thank you so much and as norman and i always say we, we gotta, gotta find a better, better sign off, off.